Hey, this is Jim. We're having a... Uh, Hey, this is Jim. We're taking this week off from producing a new episode due to, I don't know, the, um, I don't know, the pandemic and the heat wave that we're going through in California and uh, wildfires and one thing or another. We just needed to take a little bit of a break this week. So uh, we're bringing back one of our early episodes with our friend Jacob Ross, uh, who is, in my mind, like permanently attached to, to basketball and since the NBA playoffs in this weird format that we're dealing with in this pandemic year uh, uh, are starting. It seemed like a good time to bring this one back, talking about sports-specific training. Uh, Jacob is a really good friend, and I think you it's very knowledgeable, and I think you'll enjoy this episode if you haven't heard it before or if you haven't heard it in a while. Um, we will be back next week with a fresh episode, and if the uh, timing works out correctly, it will be with Lane Norton and Holly Baxter. So we'll talk to you next week. You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we try to answer specific questions on an individual topic, and then at the end, we bring in an expert to give you the real answers. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. So I have some random, I'll look through my thing. And it's like, uh, I forgot who, like famous people, you know, like, look, like I'm looking around like I shouldn't have this dude's uh, number kind of thing. I forgot who is, uh, 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 <laughs> who is the old uh, heavyweight champ? Kane Vas- uh, Velasquez. Yeah, I have his n- the phone number. Why do you have I Kane Velasquez's number? I don't know. I don't know. My, my life's been weird. I have his email and his phone number on my phone. I have people like that all through my phone. I'll t- start typing in someone else, you know, so anything with a C and F will pop up. He's... I don't know. My problem is occasionally I will uh, pocket dial somebody that I don't intend to. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I'm not too bad at that. I, I, and I have people I don't even know who, who they are. I have like uh, I have 1,300 Jasons in my phone. So 20 Jens. I have a lot of Chris's in my phone. Yeah, 50, 15 Jeremy's. Michael's supposed to be the most common name for a long period of time. Yeah, I think my my period. Yeah. But yeah, but but Chris is the one that I have the most of. I think John. Uh, yeah, John's a lot, and Jordan's a lot. A lot of Jordans too. I, I don't I a lot of a lot of Canadian Jordans. I, yeah, that's true too. I haven't come across that many Michaels in my life. Like my school was tiny, uh-huh. uh, and there wasn't one in my class in high school. I don't think. Uh, and then there wasn't one in the grade above me. I don't think. Right. And then the only one is so my best friend's little brother. I basically consider him family. Uh, his name's Michael, and since mm-hmm. we're all, like, our families are super close. We call him Mike Sean because his middle name's Mike Sean because I was around, so you can't, always, you can't have two Michaels. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. but now it just has a nice ring, like Mike Sean. Mm-hmm. We just call him Mike Sean. But, like, I don't know why. I haven't come across that many Michaels. In the gym days, there's, there's not many Michaels around the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryans, however. Yeah. A shit ton of Ryans. Yeah. What's our boy? What's Robot Jeff? <laughs> I was like, yeah. what's Robot's real name? <laughs> Just a common name, but yeah. I, but I don't know that many personally. I don't think. Side note: I heard from Juan yesterday, Mr. Leha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't talked to a lot of those guys. Um, what was I going to say? No, I bet just automatically, accidentally calling somebody off of uh, yeah off your list, who probably again shouldn't be on your list. Um, there are people still in my phone that should not be in my phone because I I don't want to talk to them, so I don't right. want to you know. 
I I took forever. I think my my late best friend's phone number is still on my phone. Yeah, I yeah. think my mom's yeah, my stuff's dad's like that. still in the phone and I can't get rid of him. I can't. Yeah, mine's like that too. And then like uh, uh luckily for me I just don't I don't call nobody, so I don't ever put dial. But but I wonder how many people I phone I'm in that's the same thing. Like why is this fool on my phone? That's me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And, yeah, and there have been, um, I don't know, worked with like magazines and yeah. all sorts of stuff over the years, and you had to have their phone number or whatever to coordinate something and or put people's publishers and, you know. Yeah. We had had the opportunity to be in a few books along the way and stuff too, and like. Yeah, there's people. Yeah, there's people, and you're like, I don't want to accidentally call that person. Yeah, 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 too important. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of magazines, my first magazine, my first real magazine article. Ooh. Just wrote that. Awesome for uh, men's journal. Oh, nice. Yeah, like a, a real thing. I don't, I don't even know how to write, you know. But I got the email saying, "Hey, we need an article from this." All right, whip that thing out an hour. Nice. I didn't edit it. I had somebody else do that because I don't know how yeah. to write very well. But well, yeah, uh, I would always rather edit than write. To be oh, honest with you, fair. yeah, because I can chop up like a you know beginning, middle, all this stuff, and, and and wrap it up, and I think I have some good ideas I can throw down. But like it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be like Twitter. Uh, text you know what I mean that's how I write like, 180 characters 240 characters or 280 characters I'll say you it might be the letter U uh-huh. uh, I might not have any commas anywhere maybe things are capitalized half of it could be perfect you mm-hmm. know perfect perfect grammar and half of it could literally be Twitter type teenage te- I, I, I text like a teenager uh-huh. and I, I'm surprised how many people still like texting me and talk to me and don't think I'm a complete idiot Maybe maybe because they're people that actually know me or have seen something online and know that I'm not a, a complete moron. I'm just a <laughs> hair of a moron. Because if you just read my text and you never met me, you'd probably think I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know? Because I really... It, a possibility. It's yeah. really bad. Yeah. Really, and even to you, I probably especially care because we have like real shit to talk about sometimes. Yeah. So I probably take extra care and it's probably still shit. But if I'm texting fast, I literally... Yeah, just a moron. There's a big difference between getting a, a fast response and then getting a, a reasoned response from you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah a little misspelled, uh, no punctuation, no grammar. Uh, I, I, I like, Fat fingered hard I, sometimes. I think I actually have fat fingers, so that is <laughs> half an excuse. And half of it's, half of it's uh, rushed, and then the, the other half is, is really fat fingers. And then I think it comes, and I'm going to blame the internet, a big thing for me growing up was AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, yeah. it was the first time you could like talk to friends. So that's like sixth, probably sixth, seventh, eighth grade, 1998, 99, 2000. Mm. We didn't have phones, or at least I wasn't allowed to have a phone. And even if you did, excuse me, texting probably wasn't much of a thing. I don't think texting was a thing until like mid 2000s uh, when I actually got a cell phone. I got a cell phone. My parents' rule was my dad worked for a cell phone company too, but my I wasn't allowed to have a cell phone until uh, I had my license. Cause mm. then, and then my parents wanted me to have a cell phone, right? So they can get a hold of me or whatever. But until then, it was AOL Messenger and you're just banging on that thing. Mm. And MySpace was kind of a thing during that time. And so then I think internet slang and gaming. I played StarCraft. Shout out to all my nerds out there that played StarCraft. That's like the nerdiest, nerdiest of the games. Con- Connor, uh, who those that don't know, he does my YouTube. He- he's going to help us produce this a little bit. Uh, he's a little bit younger than me, and he thinks he calls me a fake nerd because I don't play some of the games he plays. I'm like, bro, I play StarCraft. Like, that's the nerdiest game. It was like the first, like, they have StarCraft, like, universities in Korea and stuff. Like, it's the first 
nerd game. And right. I was playing that. And on there, you say things like GG, uh, HF, I mean, good game, have fun, good luck. And you just say GL. Like everything's just in like three letters. And so then now as a 30-year-old adult, in a, <laughs> as a professional business owner, I still talk the same way. My uh, my younger son, who's 28, never texts OK. It's always KK. And I've never really understood why. And now my wife picked it up. Me too. I guess it's fast. but I mean, And it, when back when you had to key press everything. I, so maybe that's it too. So I, I got really into texting in high school because mm. I got my cell phone. And then it was the old school thing where the the number one was ABC. Mm-hmm. Two was uh, whatever, whatever letters come next. Mm-hmm. And then so you had to click it multiple times right. to get that thing. But I got real fast. Yeah. I was smashing on that thing. And you could do it one-handed. It was actually better. Because yeah. now you need two hands and you turn your phone sideways and it's a full keyboard and you got to press a thing to go to get your exclamation point. Where on that thing, I was wiling just yeah. with one finger so yeah, my, fast. My son, same deal. Same deal. It, it took a, actually a long time before he got a smartphone. He didn't want one. Yeah, I didn't he, either. He'd rather keep press. I had a, uh, then I got a Blackberry, which was almost half and half. It might even yeah. had a full keyboard on there, but yeah, but I think did. it had like what what letters is a C or, or K or whatever that, or J. J has a little ripple on it. Yeah, and then whatever D so you or can F. Find him. Yeah, I think they had that on the Blackberry. Yeah, yeah they and did. so same thing with just one finger. I could type so fast and so good. Yeah, and uh, I was resistant to uh, touch screen keyboards as well, and I'm still not good at them to be honest with you. Yeah, I run Gboard on my iPhone. Is that the same as mine? Maybe it's predictive. Oh yeah, yeah. You can you can swipe through it too, but I'm not good at that stuff. Oh yeah, I have a swipe. Uh, I don't use it either. It's it's built into Gboard, um, and sometimes this thing just shuts off. It also will suggest words, and you can see it, and you can, you know. I don't mind that predictive. What I don't like is real predictive because then it's like wrong. Often, yeah, you have to reread what, everything that you write. So I'd rather look like I'm a six year old typing. So I took my predictive off. Mm. So I was, and my spelling's decent. Like, I was okay at English. I wasn't, like, a master. It wasn't my best topic, per mm-hmm. se. But I'm okay at spelling. I'm not a dumb shit. But when you're fat-thumbing it, and then also, like you said, like, uh, touchscreens have gone really far. I remember the first phone I had. I forgot it was because, like I said, my dad worked for AT&T. He worked on, like, the corporate side, mm-hmm. but he would still get discounts on phones, so we'd get all the newest phones when they came out or before they came out. Mm-hmm. And there was one phone I had. I think it was both. I think it was a keyboard and then maybe slid or flipped up and then it was the first touch screen. And it, it and it had like um a sensor panel where like the whole screen would almost like it had like a shock where the screen would kind of like go in when you pressed mm-hmm. it. They didn't have a what do they call it like a vibrate feedback. It didn't yeah, have that. It had, it had like a real one. Oh. Like it actually pushed in almost like a uh I don't know. Like a membrane keyboard kind of deal? Kind of. Kind of. Like the whole thing, like the whole screen was up like a, you know, two centimeters. So you'd push the whole screen in a little bit to get the feedback that you're pressing it hard enough. Okay. Uh, But then you'd fucking have to punch it. You know, you'd have to shoot it a jab. Yeah. Yeah. Just to press the button. And that wasn't good. And then now now sometimes they're too sensitive. You'll press two buttons at once. I'm trying to press F and I press G. Mm. Or you try you try to press H to say like, hey, come hang out, and you say like, hey, come come bang out or come, <laughs> come hang with me. And it says come bang with me. Bang. Yeah, that's a yeah. There's an invitation. That's you have to be careful. That's hard. Offer. That's hard. That's putting us in <laughs> trouble. That's putting us in trouble. And then, and then what do you do? You laugh it off. You send a little smiley emoji along <laughs> the way. Hope it. You, you put emoji next to anything and just pray pray that they take it as a joke. Fifty percent facts is how I teach the world, and fifty percent jokes is how I walk through my. <laughs> 
social life. I'm always kind of joking. So they're like, if they if they they like if they're cool with it, if I say something a little risque and they're cool with it, like, oh, all right, yeah, 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 cool. And then if they're not cool, they're like, you know, I was just joking. You know me, just always joking. <laughs> well, the worst is when you send something like that and it's totally the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, just, that'll get me. I accidentally sent a you know Facebook video to Stan Efforting yesterday for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Facebook's but, gotten weird too. I don't even go on that thing. You can't, you can't undo anything. Yeah. That's that's really bad when you can't undo, you can't unsend a message. If they haven't seen it, you still can't delete it. Oh, really? Yeah. Because on Instagram, I think you can. Now. Yeah, I think you can. And even text sometimes. Maybe iPhone, iPhone. You can delete a message, uh, I think, maybe. Maybe. I don't know if it's already I use WhatsApp a lot. We do business on there. Yeah. I don't know why. One, because it's international. And two, because it's like encrypted. And I use it care. a little bit for business. Yeah, that's, I like it. I like it. And yeah. then text is fine, but you're right. You'll be clicking on the wrong fucking person because of the stupid feedback on this stupid thing. And then, and then, and then we're down a deep pie hole of <laughs> technology. And how about it sucks? I'm uh, for you know both of us really. You're way better with technology than I am, but both of us full career technology world. I am so trash at it. Like I have con- like oh my god, I can't do anything. I literally can't do anything. I don't know why. I I feel like I could when I was a kid. You know, I'd be the one teaching my mom how to plug in the VHS and stuff. But right. things are so simple then. So yeah. the yellow cord, red yep. cord, blue cord. They can't even color coordinate things for me. And they've tried to make it simpler. HDMI, one yeah. cord, I get it. And I, and I understand all that. I was a DJ. I, I understand audio. I understand some of those interfaces and things, but it's gotten so complicated. Computers, I guess, is the real fuck up for me. Yeah. I um, Like, you can't work on cars anymore because they're too complicated. Yeah. You have to pay somebody else to do that. Uh, no, I feel you on that. The uh, sure. my, like my, Even my Mac. My Mac's it's probably five years old, so it's probably time-ish for a new one. You know, they, they, they try to outdate you. But, like, so many things are popping up at the side. and Like, a, a keychain. Something pops up and says your keychain's loose. Oh, Type in a fucking <laughs> password. I'm like, what the fuck? That's where you keep your passwords. Yeah, but I never yeah. set it up. Oh, I never told oh, them oh. to do it. And it just oh. pops up and says, and I was like, why? And, it, and then it'll pop up, like, twice a day. And I'll put in my main password to unlock that. And then it... And then, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Like, it holds your passwords on right. the websites or something sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But I don't care if it does that. I don't care if it doesn't do that. I didn't choose either way, but for some reason, the uh, middle of a YouTube video and something will fucking mm. overlay. It's annoying. Speaking of passwords, I'm just going to, before we move on, just pass on this point to people. Uh, use two-factor identification uh, yeah, authorization. Yeah, for sure. Use That's a text factor. deal, right? They'll text you when someone's hacking in your shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I use that for everything. Yeah, no, I had to... Uh, Let's say a number of times this year, somebody's tried to get into my um, my Apple ID. Yeah, I fucking... It's so sketchy. Someone hacked my Instagram. Did I tell you that? It was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Someone straight hacked it. That's crazy. Deleted all my pictures, and then they're like selling some holographic, like some total bot thing. But then I couldn't get back in. They, they So they hacked it so quick, and then they immediately switched the email associated with the account to theirs, not mine. Yeah. So I'm trying to you know forget password or whatever. <clears> nothing. <throat> nothing. Instagram was pretty good at getting back. They restored it to you because you uh, do you have to prove who you were. And yeah, stuff? yeah. I had to send them a selfie and then uh, send them a picture of my driver's license and then I don't know how they associated it with the account, but they did it somehow. Wow. And I had two factor on. I think maybe actually it might have been before they offered. Two I factor. think it was before two factor. Yeah, yeah, but but Twitch has really good stuff like that. Really good. I don't know what YouTube has, but Twitch. Um, anytime I sign in from a new thing, uh, it'll text me. It'll text mm. me and I'll put in a, right. a token. Right. Uh, and there's a token for my channel. There's like a big old fancy code that's basically like it's 10 uh, letters and numbers and mm. whatever that they made. And it's basically like the social security number for my uh, channel. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. 
it's only you can get into it if you have it. Yeah, and I can share it with anybody, and but it's there and it's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of what we're talking about here in terms of having been good at stuff before uh, from a technology standpoint and not being good anymore. Aging. <laughs> yeah, some of it is aging and some of it is specificity because yeah. it used to be uh, all this stuff was sort of generally available and now that technology is down in the crevices of everything, yeah. you have to have such specific knowledge of stuff to be able to to do it, to be able to to figure it out. And it got way broader. Properly. Like yeah. a, a Nintendo and the cords for a Nintendo were the same as a VHS. Right. And there, you know, all there was the RCA and like, and then the compu- computers, I guess, were the real bitch. And like you just said, like yeah. computers are in everything now. Your car's got a, got a right. computer. Phone's got a computer. It's the, you, uh, there's, Jim's got a, a keyboard next to me. He said, this thing's a fucking computer. <laughs> like, there's tons of fucking transformers all around me. I don't even know. <laughs> this microphone's probably a computer. Probably though. <laughs> Probably so. Anyway, that's a, a soft segue into our topic of uh, sports-specific training. And this is one that's always mystified me. Um, like, I can understand the logic kind of of, of getting into uh, the kinds of positions where you, would, where you need strength, say, in a, in a particular sport uh, and trying to duplicate those. But... The question I've always had is like, how close is it? Does it really make that much difference? Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm a, again biased. I mentioned this in another episode, but like, there's there's gonna be some topics that I feel I have a good hold on here, so I feel strongly opinionated, and I feel like my fifty percent is way higher, the factual. <laughs> and then there's gonna be some topics that I'm fucking at zero, and I mm. probably have no opinion. And I'm gonna fake an opinion for you guys. So this is another one where I have a very strong opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I've done for ten years uh, as a strength coach and then another 15 as a player or an athlete myself and i think that it's all a spectrum mm-hmm. it's all a spectrum like you said the word specificity the word functional is thrown around a lot lately in the training world mm-hmm. what's functional bicep curls not functional but for some reason a squat is functional right but what if we're talking about bowling is a squat really that functional for a bowler like it maybe not right mm-hmm. but then but does that mean that we should be doing farmers carries with the heaviest bowling balls walking through the gym like that's probably a little dumb too and so that was i think a big fad actually right when i was getting into um personal training or strength and conditioning uh late 2000s maybe 2008 9 10 11 12 even up until now but the functional and the sports specific mm-hmm. uh you know nike came out with like a training course of sports specific products mm-hmm. and they literally called it nike spark and uh, spark your football athleticism and all this um people are doing you know lap pull downs but instead it's a basketball on the thing mm-hmm. uh people are doing push-ups but they'll never do a push-up on the ground they'll only do a push-up on a fucking football right uh they're doing all this basu ball stuff. They're they're on a basu ball with a baseball glove playing catch. Mm-hmm. You know, different stuff like that. And I think that that misses the mark. Uh, <laughs> the basics, of my personal opinion, are you're in the gym um, to prehab, meaning uh, fix imbalances, warm up, get things right, so you potentially avoid risk. Mm-hmm. Right? Pre rehab is basically what it is. We're trying to uh, stop things before they happen. Uh, two, you're trying to get stronger. Um, and that's what the gym is made for. You get stronger, and kind of like you said, you maybe get stronger in the positions um, that are unique to your sport, mm-hmm. maybe get stronger in the muscles that are unique to your sport, or maybe get strong in positions that you just tend to lack or be a little bit weak in. Mm-hmm. And then the sports specific comes from your sport. Um, you're not going to become a better b- basketball player in the gym. You're not going to um, work on your, you know, your golf drive in the gym. Uh, but if you maybe get your back a little stronger, your hips a little stronger, um, and you're conditioning up, your long-term endurance up, maybe you're a better 
golf driver over the next uh, tournament you do that's five-day tournament or something like that. And that's kind of how I feel about all the things. So we're, we're trying to get stronger. We're trying to prevent injuries. We're trying to fix some weaknesses in the gym. Um, and then with our sport, uh, you have to get better doing that sport. You, you don't get better shooting a free throw of basketball uh, in the gym, and you don't get better shooting a free throw of basketball throwing a football. It, it just literally doesn't work. The, the law of specificity is something people talk a lot about in powerlifting, mm-hmm. right? If you want to be a better squatter, you should probably squat. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a better deadlifter, you should probably deadlift to some extent. And in probably that range of how much you deadlift or squat should you be should be doing them a lot if you want to get better at that, right? And, and, and it's so simple to some people, right? If you want to get, I feel like music, they're not fucking around in music. Like, oh, you want to play piano? Well, you got to play piano. Mm. And they, no one's saying like, oh, you want to be a really good, I, I want to be Elton John. They're not telling you to go play the fucking tambourine over here. Right. Uh, but for some reason in the gym and in sports, it gets foggy in people's head. But that law is, is, is just true. And I think that like with um, with mental training, I think that things like, I say, learning another language when you're a kid or whatever, it helps you in certain other ways. I think there might be even a relationship between learning another language and music or music and, and something else because you're training a certain kind of flexibility in your brain. But that's different than... than uh, telling your body what to do in a specific situation. Yeah, and then developmentally is a whole nother conversation too, right? And there's a lot of hot topics about that now, about being too specific at, yeah. at the age 10. Right. And that's maybe a different topic too, um, but I agree with you there. Like if you just, you know, when you're fucking a kid, you learn how to use your body through space mm-hmm. and you learn hand-eye coordination and you do that in multiple things, you'll probably be better when you do get specific in in basketball or whatever you choose to do and that's kind of like the gym if you get better and stronger generally speaking in the gym then you take that and you make it specific by applying it to your sport right rather than taking the specificity of your sport and bring it into the gym to do weighted chest passes all day Mm -hmm. just do a little bit of bench press or do a little bit of push-ups or do some dumbbell work not overdo it you don't have to bench five times a week like an ipf power lifter (laughs) but if you bench once or twice a week with some dumbbells, just some light work, work on your chest, work on your shoulders, work on your tricep, then those will be a little bit stronger. And then maybe uh, through time of training and through time of practice in the gym, basketball gym, you'll be able to uh, get a little bit longer shooting range. Okay, let's look at it this way. Um, say you're a power lifter and, uh, and you're not someone that has been uh, well-versed in West Side, so you're doing a lot of, a lot of variations. Um, do you think that there is value to adding variations to to the compa- competition lifts uh, for a power lifter, yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely some to it, and then and then all that is to a degree. So like basketball, football, soccer, right, are like the least specific sports. Like mm. you have to move in many directions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to move fast. Sometimes you got to move slow. Sometimes you got to jump. Sometimes you got to whatever, right? And plus you have to control this ball. Plus you got to pass this ball, right? There's so many different factors. Where powerlifting is the most specific sport, mm-hmm. right? We have squat, bench, dead. It's to a very pretty strict standard of rules when you're competing. And so I think the variation of lifting that you would do for a soccer player would actually even be bigger than the variation you do for uh, a powerlifter. Kind of like, um, yes, variation. But if you're doing, if you're a powerlifter and you want to squat, not squatting at all and only doing lunges probably mm-hmm. isn't the move. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, squatting, uh, going through phases where you're squatting a little bit less and doing a little bit more lunges. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe. Or, or again, obviously conjugate type things. Maybe, maybe some bands, maybe some chains, maybe some pauses. Mm-hmm. I think there's um, a pretty good group now. Uh, you know, Mike Tashir and all these people are, are more into variations than most people would think. He's mm-hmm. kind of the leader for those that don't know. Uh, and raw powerlifting, really. You know, he was one of the first um, really, really, really strong motherfuckers coming out raw, uh, natural, also one of the really uh, leading brains in coaching mm-hmm. raw powerlifting across the world at a very high level. And he uses some chains, he uses some bands, he uses some variations, but he kind of keeps them close to this core where um, Westside goes a little bit outside that core. But again, it's kind of a different platform because they're in powerlifting gear. Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't know where I'm going with that. But I think each sport, there's probably a basket of tools that you should use. Mm-hmm. You know, like same with soccer. Like a soccer player probably doesn't need to be doing handstand push ups in the right. gym to get better. But a soccer player could probably do some box squats mm-hmm. to get better. And, um, and speaking of like very specific to sport, most sports have drills. Right. That are, um, they're not maximum effort kind of drills, right? For sure. Or, or they're breaking something down into one. Right. Which in a powerlifting world would be, the, okay, there's a full range deadlift and now there's a block pull. Mm-hmm. In powerlifting, you know, you'd be doing some kind of shooting drill. We used to do one at the free throw line um, where you'd, you'd have someone rebound for you. Um, you'd shoot a jump shot at the elbow, which is the corner of the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Then you'd have to jog backwards to the half court and then sprint back up shoot another shot, uh, then you would slide to the side, to the uh, sideline, slide back in, shoot another jump shot, and then you'd run forward to the baseline, run back, catch a pass, until you made whatever amount. You had to make 20, and then the drill was over, right? So you're probably jogging or sprinting at whatever, 75, 80%, Mm -hmm. and you're obviously wide open. There's no defender there, but you're breaking down the movement of something that may happen at full speed later. So the question I have is whether or not it actually makes the most sense to have uh, really good drills inside your sport and then have a general strength program in the gym. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm doing as a coach and as an athlete is I have, um, you know, and and then the time, the amount of time you put towards those things, we have to start to dictate, right? So let's say we have seven days in a week, just because whatever moon calendar gave mm-hmm. us that. So we have seven days in a week, and and let's say we're a college student or a high school student or even a pro, right? Mm-hmm. So we probably only have two, maybe three sessions a day we can get in total. Right. You know, my lifting is probably three to four a week. Um, my drills is probably five to seven a week, mm-hmm. and then my full on, which is probably some type of scrimmage or game, would be another f- five to seven a week. You know, and mm-hmm. that's kind of where you piece it all together, right? You kind of lift, you kind of break these drills up, you get used to them, and then you go full speed and hopefully apply some of that strength and apply some of those drills at your actual sport. And that's that's what powerlifting is in a in, in, a, in a basket too, right? You have four to eight weeks where you're trying to get in some general, a little bit more general strength, a little bit more variation. Mm-hmm. Then you're trying to get in, and you got another four to eight, maybe twelve, sixteen weeks where you're getting a little bit more specific. And then hopefully you put it all together on one day at a powerlifting meet. Right. It's all just different. Once you understand kind of the scope of programming, and powerlifting is good at that because it's so specific, you have to understand specific programming. Once you really understand that, you can scope and kind of break it down to to any sport. Mm. I don't know shit about marathons or running. I really don't. But I bet you I could design a pretty good marathon running program just because I understand general principles of, of athletics and training and programming. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think... 
no, I, I couldn't do the best in the world by no means. I'm sure there's some <laughs> running coaches that would laugh at my shit. But I bet there's some running coaches with an open mind and a look and be like, yeah, it makes some sense. Mm-hmm. For, for a meathead, strength and conditioning, basketball playing, dumbass podcaster, he makes some sense. And you, could, I'm sure that you could design a strength program for that person. Yeah, for without, sure. Without yeah. too much problem at for all. For sure that. And that's kind of what strength and conditioning should be, in my opinion, is you're kind of the translator mm-hmm. from from physical athletic fitness to a sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's kind of your goal. And that's where it should be sports-specific, where a runner doesn't need to bench, again, doesn't need to bench press five times a week. Mm-hmm. The sports spe- specificity of a runner to bench press is just to hold a little bit of muscle, get mm-hmm. a little bit stronger, so then maybe their chest and back don't hurt when they're running 800 miles. I didn't understand before why it is that, um, I mean, runners always have big legs, but they, they usually have like big shoulders, big arms, all this stuff. And why do they do that? Oh, it's because... Yeah, yeah, they, some momentum. Yeah, it's the momentum. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they don't, you know, run with their arms to their sides. Yeah, um, and then same thing genetically, flapping in the wings. Yeah, genetically, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna be the fastest guy in the world, or, or one of the fastest sprinters in the area, or mm-hmm. jumpers in the area, chances are you, you have a lot of type two muscle fibers, and you got a lot of quick twitch, and you're really fast, so you're gonna kind of just be more jacked than the average. We're gonna have to talk to somebody about muscle fibers at some point. But yeah, uh, we'll find a uh, Andy uh, Galpin. Andy Galpin probably a good good uh, choice Muscle fiber there. guy. Um, I th- I that's pretty much all I can think of yeah. relative to this, and I think that Jacob's going to have a fair amount to say. So we'll just uh, we'll just trans. Um, my brain just farted. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just transition to Jacob now. That's what we'll do. Let's get some answers. All right. Okay, so we're here with Jacob Ross. Our good friend, who uh, is accomplished, like some of our friends, but not all of our friends, <laughs> he he uh, works right now with Luel Deng. Yes, and uh, give us just a capsule of your background for everybody. Yeah, I like to say I'm a, I'm an elite sports performance coach trainer. Kind of has a bad connotation sometimes, yeah. but um, I've worked for about ten years in this field. Um, I've had the opportunity to train ten all stars from different sports. I've had over a hundred professional athletes, um, several Division one college athletes, a lot of high schools, mm. even some adults just general fitness training. But um, I mean anybody when you talk about who have you trained, they want to hear about the pro bowlers. So Right, exactly. Uh, you know, that's always a cooler thing to talk about. Who have you trained that I've heard of? Um, <laughs> Matt Forte, Devin Hester, Johnny Knox. Um, Johnny Knoxville. Jack no, has. not Johnny Knoxville. Johnny Knox. <laughs> uh, he was a pro bowler for Chicago for one year. Um, also got to train uh, Asia Evans, Olympic medalist. Mm. Um, um, I've had a few guys that have been lucky enough to win a Super Bowl. I didn't have anything to do with it, but mm. it, I was training them, so that worked out. Um, but, yeah, yeah, several the, – the thing about pro sports, there's so many guys that – I've worked with that you never hear about yeah. because unless you're an avid fan of yeah. that team, yeah. you know, they come in and play 20 games in NFL or 20 snaps in NFL game instead mm-hmm. of, you know, 80. So they're still a good player, right. but they're not, you know, Tom Brady or something. Or, or even Luau. You yeah. Know, yeah. Luau's been in the All-Star and he's been in the league forever. A member of Duke, obviously, and a good team at Duke and yep. huge team at, in Chicago. Yep. And I've trained some other NBA guys, mm-hmm. um, but again, unless you were following that team at that time, you just wouldn't know who they are. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. hard to be an All-Star. Yeah, really, yeah. Really hard. yeah. How many people are in the NBA? Three uh, hundred. Yeah, roughly, I guess. Yeah. Shit. yeah. Right, and then an All Stars top twenty four from that. Yeah. Yep, and that's literally the best in the it's world. It's like over a thousand in baseball, something like yeah. that. Uh, yeah, some crazy number. Me and Jacob were talking about that the other night. Yeah, oh, man, and Lou. I was like, "Fuck, I should have played soccer, or baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I should have played soccer, or baseball." 
Okay, so here's our question. Is sports-specific training a gimmick? So, as usual... (laughs) You're cringing. cringing. Yeah, it it depends on how you define it. But I would say most people would define sports-specific training as, can I do certain exercises that are, quote-unquote, specific to my sport? Mm -hmm. And I would say um, most of that isn't true. Most of the sports-specific training market is uh, marketing, it's hype. Mm-hmm. There's not really real um, thought or research or any sort of data that backs that up. So you're telling me that me doing a push-up on a basketball isn't going to make me a better basketball player than doing a regular push-up or a bench press? <laughs> um Within reason, no. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like sleeping with a basketball. Is that going to make you a better basketball I player? honestly think so. I used to do that <laughs> shit. I, uh, I'd walk to class with a basketball. I'd dribble everywhere. I slept. I laid down and shot. Yeah. Just I fell in love, you know? Yeah. You fall in love with something you bring to the bedroom, kids. Was that like a, um, what was the volleyball, Wil- Wilson? Yeah, yeah. Castaway, was it that kind of thing? Like, did you you put a face on her? Big bloody handprint on her. Yeah, basically I had no friends, so I turned into Spalding. that was your girlfriend? Yeah, Spalding. (laughs) 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 But no. Um, But there is something to be said for training in a way that helps your sport. Yeah. So that's where I would draw the line in terms of sport-specific training. So as Mike was saying, you know, if you do a push-up on a basketball, does that for sure 100% make you – a better chess passer in basketball compared to if you did bench press or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in general, no. But um, if I'm doing push-ups on a basketball and I'm an ultra marathon runner, um, and that's all I'm doing is push-ups on a basketball, <laughs> you know, yeah, you should be training more for your sport, the demands of your sport. Mm-hmm. So I really believe that the way that you train an athlete, and I think I've seen this proven um, through the training that I've done with the people I've worked with and the success that they've had, is there is a genetic inherent component in them to be an amazing athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luol Deng is, is the best example I know of this because uh, he was actually offered a contract. Um, he, he was a, a refugee from South Sudan, lived in Egypt for five years, got political asylum to England. And so he played soccer in you know Africa. He played soccer, obviously, in England. And he was offered a million-dollar contract at age 12 to, I think, Manchester or Manchester City. <laughs> And um, that's how good he was at soccer. And in Africa, he told me that they used to blow up a balloon and they would tape socks around it to make a soccer ball. So you're telling me a guy that basically kicking a balloon around um, was good enough to get a million dollar contract that's at age crazy. 12. Do you that's think somebody crazy. trained him to do that? Yeah, yeah. it's because yeah. he was doing leg presses on top of a soccer ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's bouncing on his knees on a you know Swiss ball or yeah, something. Yeah, a basu ball. Oh, so, man. so, you know, he was going to be a great athlete. And, of course, now he's a two-time All-Star. This is his 15th year in the NBA. And he didn't even start playing basketball till maybe around age 11 you know, so, yeah. or so. So for him to be that good in one sport and then not even do that sport mm. and then literally become one of the best in a completely different sport just goes to show you how little sport-specific training had to do with it and how much his genetic makeup – on top of passion, on top mm. of work ethic. I mean, when he was in England, he used to put a weight vest on underneath his school uniform and run to school in a weight vest. How many kids do you know do that at age 12? So nobody taught him to do that. So th- so th- it is a combination of passion, work ethic, and then genetics um, that, that really, I think, t- to answer your question, puts you in a, in a place to succeed. So when I'm training athletes, I always think about 
what attributes do I know are important for their sport? Mm-hmm. And how can I increase those attributes to allow them to be the best version of themselves? Yeah, not not waste time on other things. You got a soccer player, we're probably not doing biceps five times a week. Like, why? Right? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. we could do them once a week, maybe, you know, sure. to stay, keep balance and, yep. and, and other things. But, like, yeah, what, what can you maybe accentuate and what the hell they have to perform? Right. So, so when I started working with Luol, um, I think the next year was his first all-star. The next year was an all-star after that. And it would be easy for me to sit here and say, well, I made Luol Deng an all-star because he wasn't until I trained with him and shortly after he was. And that's just not true. I did put him physically and, and even probably mentally, you know, through training in a good place to be the best Luol he could be. Mm-hmm. But they also changed coaches who really used him well in that system. Mm-hmm. Then you have to get into, he had great teammates. He had Derek Rose, you know, he had Joe Kim Noah. He had all these guys who were also helped him succeed. So all that factors into it. None of us can be responsible for, if you're a sports performance coach, for the success of your athlete. All you can be responsible for is literally giving them all the tools that they need and the capacity that they need to be the best version of themselves. What about longevity, though? Yeah, no, I mean, you add that for sure. Longevity is something um, that I do think matters quite a bit. And I think a sports performance coach can take some credit for because anytime you're talking about a mechanical system over time, it's going to wear down. Mm -hmm. That's the human body, a car, a house, anything. Yeah. I mean, anything used mechanically over time is going to break down. Can I, the nice thing about the human body is you can quote unquote work on it through training right? Strength training, mobility work, whatever. And you can give it more capacity in certain areas, less capacity in others. You can change some metabolism stuff. You can change some energy system stuff. You can Mm. change some fiber type stuff. So I can kind of like, it's almost like remodeling a house. Mm. I can't change a house. But maybe I can put in some new cabinets and a nice marble top on the you know on the island. Wow, you hear that, bro? That's how Jacob thinks of you, dog. He's just thinking you're a fucking old Chevy and he's changing the tires on you, buddy. That's what he thinks of you. He's fucked gonna up. drop a crate engine. In there. That's fucked up, Luol. I don't think I think your old rims are fine, dude. I think your old rims are fine. Fucked up. So, so yeah, I, I can I can remodel it. I can kind of keep it going longer than maybe it would have yeah. uh, without those things because as they endure mechanical stress over their career. I can really help them um, endure that stress better and and handle it longer. So, yes, I do think that matters quite a bit. So are you breaking down the points in the movements that from from a game where they would – positions that they would normally be in, awkward, some, some positions of strength, whatever – and trying to break those things down, replicate them in such a way that you're that you're strengthening them, or you, you're giving them better better mobility. How how are you working uh, what you're doing into the actual performance of their sport? Yeah, it's it's. I take a really high level approach to that because some people, and again, this is where you get into the quote unquote sports specific hype stuff, and say, okay, they slide defensively in a game, so. Every day they're going to, you know, hold um, a med ball in front of their chest and they're going to hold a slide and they're going to take small steps, you know, like mimicking a slide. Yeah. I think some of that is okay to do, but at the end of the day, there's so many motions that someone could take. And if you could actually measure how your knee or your ankle or the bones in your foot or your hip moves, there's almost literally endless, endless possibilities of that. So mm-hmm. it's it's really dumb to think that I'm a good enough trainer to specifically work on all of those things because you can't and you don't have enough time, you don't mm-hmm. have enough capacity or any of that. So what I can do though is pick the things that are going to matter the most and work on those things. So for for any athlete, posterior chain strength is, is huge. 
you know, glutes, hams, adductors, they move you forward, they move you laterally. So those things need to be really strong. You know, they used to think that your quad had a lot to do with knee stability. It doesn't have much to do. It's really your hamstring. Mm. So I can't prevent an injury from happening to someone's knee because if you get hit in the side, run down the field in an NFL game and your knee goes by, it, it goes. Yeah. But um, in general, if you can't I, teach them to avoid physics is what right. you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're a bad luck. Yeah. But, but if I do work on their hamstring strength, um, I can for sure maybe stave off some knee instability issues, mm-hmm. which might uh, contribute to them just not having as much inflammation, not mm-hmm. having tendonitis. Um, so, so a lot of those things that you can help or even the recovery from the injury, mm-hmm. you know, I've had some athletes who've gotten injured before from physics and they recover much faster than athletes, I would say, who aren't yeah. trained because your body's already prepared better to deal with, um, you know, stress and is prepared better to stabilize faster yeah. regardless of if the joints compromised or not. So there's a lot of components you can do. Again, I'm giving them their body the best tools to play longer, to play safer, mm-hmm. and to play better. That's the real sport-specific training. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. Some of that might actually be the opposite of what they do a lot, like the the defensive slide with a, a ball uh, example. Like, Luau plays basketball for, what, three hours a day minimum. Yep. He's doing a lot of defensive slides. Yes. Yeah. Let's bring him in the gym and do more <laughs> defensive slides. Like, that's going to fucking help things. This is the point exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Or why don't you have him box squat? belt squat yep. now he's building up those muscles with a different stimulus but a similar ish position and then hopefully that translates to some shit yeah ex- exactly and it, it's similar even to running um you know a lot of football teams used to just run the hell out of their players they right. just run sprints on sprints on sprints on sprints they're running plenty in practice they're running plenty you know in a game and a lot of people would argue they really don't run that far and i would agree with that right so if i'm going to have the opportunity to train them i, I love this quote and it's been said a million times by a million people but you know Working out is what you do for fun. Training is when you pick things you're not good at to work on. Mm. My job as a coach is to pick things that are not he's not good at to work on so that he can ultimately have, again, more tools in his tool belt. He can have a better capacity to do what he does well. So if I know that defensive slides for him, let's just say I'm like, ah, they're not looking great right now. Like you said, doing more defensive slides isn't going to fix it. But what could fix it is maybe we need a little more adductor strength. Maybe we need a little bit more mobility through there. You know, maybe he's got a little stickiness in his ankle. I need to strengthen that up. So you kind of go back and you say, what are the the grosser movement patterns and muscle groups that I need to to strengthen and enhance? And then his body is going to self-select the best pattern to do those things better. So... You're this, you're not going to be objective about this at all because I don't think there's any way you could possibly be. But I'm going to ask you the question anyway. Sure. To what extent uh, is a is a coach necessary to be able to break those things down? To can people break these things down on their own, or do they need somebody looking at them enough of the time to figure out where they need to train to you know, basically have more tools to improve? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Um, I know some athletes that I've worked with who have crazy work ethic and drive, Mm. and they like to use their downtime to learn more about this stuff. Mm. So they dive into the research. They try to learn from some top coaches. They try some stuff out Mm. in their own training. You know, Matt Forte was a great example. You know, when I trained him, um, if we were trained at 630 in the morning, he would be at Hallis Hall, the Bears facility, at 5. And he would be running sprints, doing cuts, mm-hmm. doing things. Then he would drive over to me at EFT, the gym I was at, and come live with me there. And so, like, Matt was doing extra stuff. Then he would go do Pilates mm-hmm. after. So, like, a guy like Matt, 
I would say that I just probably gave him ideas and things to think about mm-hmm. more than I trained him. Mm-hmm. But then you have some people who just don't care about that. They want to play and like come in and they say, hey, just tell me what to do. Yeah. I want to get better. Yeah. So I think it depends more on the person. But the the athletes in general aren't focused on that. And they, they don't they understand it's important. But unless your passion is really there, I think it's important from that aspect because Math is a good example. You know, a lot of people say, oh, one plus one is two, right? Mm. And you go to some, I don't know, Nobel Prize winning top professor, and you're like, one plus one is two. And he's like, really? Is it? Like, that's such <laughs> like a shallow view. Like, yeah, and yeah. for me, I'm like, of course it is. And yeah. I think training's like that. It's such a low barrier to entry thing to do. Anybody can walk into a gym and bench press. Anybody can walk just on their own. They can do mm. a push-up. So, like, oh, training is easy. Yeah. But for people like myself and, and Mike who think about this stuff and have for years and looked into it and have all this experience, it's not like that. Yeah, you're building a plan. You have an ultimate goal. You have many goals within that. And then you're trying to structure. You're like an architect. You're trying to structure this perfect thing and it won't turn out perfect but you're trying to make this perfect thing to solve every issue that, that may happen. Yeah, and there's so many factors that, that I'm going to consider that your average person just won't. And things that I've right. learned through experience and things that unless you worked with that kind of a person, you'll never know. So I would say from that side, thinking it is very important. There are a lot of poor strength coaches out there. There's a lot of strength coaches who do the bare minimum. They don't know, they don't take the time, whatever the combination is, to really dig into it. And I always say, oh, that's not true. Well, why do I have a job? Mm-hmm. Right? Like if every strength coach was awesome, I wouldn't have a job, even at a pro level. I think there's a lot of really good ones out there, but there's some who just kind of aren't. And that's what employs people like myself and employs coaches like Mike. You know, we work with some top athletes um, because we put them in better places to win. Mm. That makes sense. That that was more objective than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Yeah, because cause, cause what I was going to say is like training sport in a way is still so new, especially our sports, right? Basketball, football, uh, uh, baseball in America are the ba- three main sports, and those are less than like 200 years old, right? Yeah. Like uh, I might be wrong with baseball. It may be older, but I think it's under 200 years. Right? Under I would, yeah. Years, yeah. Right, right, rather than like I know I know the uh, Olympics are old, running, picking up a stone to see who's strong, wrestling. Some of those are a little bit more ancient, but sports as we know them are new. And then training for sport is real fucking new. Yeah. You know, like yeah. my dad played college football and like they kind of lifted like they kind of did some leg press or something but that's like i guess the 70s maybe the 60s but a basketball player like uh, the 90s basketball people didn't lift in the 80s Mm -hmm. so now we're talking some still don't lift yeah yeah tons so that's what i was going to so go uh and kind of be on your side too is like some guys would it make them better maybe the longevity but maybe not because a lot of it's random luck of of getting caught on a knee Mm -hmm. or not some guys might might genetically just not do well with the uh, that stimulus, and so maybe it won't do them better, but they feel fresher not training or something like that. And so there's tons of NBA. I'm sure there's a decent amount of baseball that don't lift. Yeah. Football guys probably lift to some degree. Yeah. But it's still so new that the knowledge is kind of new, even though the science is pretty solid on a lot of factors. It's still so new. The, the team sports is so new, so who knows what's going to happen long-term with coaches or not. And I'd say even just look at um, the trends, right? So in research, we figured out a long time ago that static stretching isn't the best before an activity. Right. But how many people still static stretch before the they run? The whole world. The whole world. Pretty yeah. much everybody, yeah. And, and so you just look at how much trends have changed and how much they haven't in some ways. Yeah. Fat's you, bad, carbs bad, this yeah, bad, yeah. And you see the need for good scientific, logical, experienced coaches to help continue to educate and spread the word. And again, I think because it's a low barrier to entry 
idea. Like even like you said, nutrition, just eating. Oh, everybody eats. I just need, you know, I know how to eat because it's a low barrier to entry. They don't always give the credit that it deserves Mm -hmm. to the intricacies and the, in the um, expertise that it really requires to do it well. Appreciate you, man. Love having you on. Love hanging out. Uh, Lucky to have you as a friend, as a uh, peer. In a way, Pierre? In a way? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We, we, we coach or some shit. <laughs> Love talking, uh, training with you. Love talking life, buddy. Thanks for coming to Sacramento, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Where can people find you? Uh, it's real simple. Uh, Jacob.w.ross, and y'all are some of my favorite people in the world, so I'm always grateful to get together. Aww. Let's go. Well, on that note. Grab some food. Thanks very much. <laughs> We're friends with some of the best people. You can find Mike on social media, Silent Mike with two Ks. You can find me at the Jim McD everywhere. And you can find the show, 50% Facts, on Instagram and Twitter, 50% spelled out and facts. Do us a favor. Tell a friend if you like this show. Tell a friend. In fact, did I say one? Better make it two. Tell two friends about the show and tell them how much you like it and ask them to give it a listen. We'd appreciate that. Thanks. Talk to you next time. <laughs>